We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Probably wondering how we're going to come up with topics for this episode. Well, guess what? We don't have to. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Inc. Gunner. That's right. We don't have to come up with topics because we asked you for the topics. That's right. This is a mailbag episode. Mailbag. Mail's here. Um, you know, I think it's funny that we call it a mailbag because, like, it, it harkens to a time of of snail mail, of actually receiving mail. And, and mail used to be a nice thing to get, right? And so you, you would get excited. Oh, my mail's coming. But now, what do you get in the mail? Bills, spam kind of stuff, offers for a new credit card to swap out your old credit card, transfer your balance from that credit card to this credit card, and then your balance could be on this one. We'll jack up those rates, and then you can transfer it to another one. That has to be one of the weirdest things we've created in society, the balance transfer credit card to credit card thing. Like There are literally websites that will tell you which credit card to open next to move your balance to them to get their intro offer before their APR expires. Anyway, just a thought that I had because we said mailbag. That's where my head's at this morning. Only had one coffee, but we're gonna uh, yeah we're gonna cover a wide range of topics sent by you, uh, uh, from you to us in Discord and uh, over on the internet on Twitter. And I do want to apologize for people that uh, are Facebook users or Instagram users or TikTok users or just not social media people. Um, I don't have a better way to ask for questions than that. So I hope the questions sort of get you there one way or the other. Um, but if you want to get a question to us, you can always email us, contact at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. Good way to get in touch uh, in general. And I want to say thanks to our patrons who send in some great questions and thanks to uh, the non-patrons alike. Just really happy to have you here. I know a lot of us right now dealing with uh, the loss of football this weekend. And I know many of you uh, are certainly dealing with the loss of of the queen, of course, and, and grieving that. But I, I think what we are all wondering is how this this stoppage is going to impact the season going forward. So there's some questions about that we'll get to, but I want to start with some World Cup-related stuff, and I'm going to do that with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! It's funny, we start the pod, and I just start talking. And as I'm talking, I'm like, do I have anything I need to get to? Do I have any news or business? Like, you'd, you'd think I, at this point I would write down, here are the couple key things 
you need to mention in the intro. And the thing people you may not know is indeed. Yeah, we'd probably be professional, but like we don't we don't actually like edit this podcast. So it it is really just <laughs> uh push the button that says record and hope the stuff comes out. And if it doesn't, the belief is that you will tolerate us, forgive us, and continue to listen to us. And we do love you for doing that. We're working on some live events um, on two sides of the pond and, and around the world and everywhere. So we'll have news about that as it breaks. But for now, Tim, I want to start with you because this news came out recently and you and I have been chatting about it behind the scenes from Dave M. Gerter, Dave M underscore GTR uh, at on the Discord. Tim's thoughts on Martinelli not in the Brazil squad. I was surprised by this. Yeah. Yeah, so um, people will probably have seen that all of our our, our Gabriel Cubed, as it were, uh, trio have not made the Brazil squad. So uh, just by way of summary, for Gabriel Jesus, that is not a problem. He is basically on the plane. Um, he won't start. Brazil's front three is set. So they play Neymar through the middle. They play Rafinha to the right of him and Vinicius Junior to the left. So basically it's all about who else is going to go in terms of forwards. And they are stacked to the absolute gills, um, particularly with wide forwards. But Gabriel Jesus is going to go, not least because he can play through the centre. Um, and it's and it's Firmino who is probably not going to go. Um, that that's the kind of the level of depth we're talking about now. Gabriel Magalhaes, he's probably going to be okay. Um, he's he looks like he's going to go as the fourth choice centre half. And basically, what they want to do, Brazil, is they want to bring five centre halves. So they're having a look at a couple of other guys to see who the fifth one's going to be. So I think for those two, this is not a problem. For Martinelli, I mean, he's definitely not a lock in the squad. Now he's been in the last three or four. So it could be that basically Chite is kind of saying, look, I've seen all I need to see from Martinelli. I can see how you're playing, can see how you're playing with Jesus. I'm going to have a look at some other guys. Or it could be, I, I mean, and, and that still, you know, could be bad news if those other guys impress. Um, or it could just be a kind of, mm, you're not in the squad because you're not quite there and it's the last squad before the World Cup. And if that's the case, then he'll have to hope for an injury. So the other guys who are basically... Um, in there so you've got the three I mentioned and Gabriel Jesus then you've got Anthony um, who's obviously a threat uh, for Martinelli's place now I know people will kind of say oh he's only just joined Man United and all of that but he has been in the last few Brazil squads Uh, Chite likes him a lot he's quite analogous to Rafinha as well on the right so there's that kind of continuity there Uh, then there's Richarlison obviously as well um, and so, again, he's a threat for Martinelli's pace because he's a very, very similar type of player to Martinelli. Uh, and then there's uh, Roberto Firmino, who, again, he's in this squad. And I think for him, this is a, like, you've got to do something <laughs> uh, to get in the squad. And then there's a young striker, uh, Flamengo, well, youngish striker at Flamengo called Pedro, who's playing really, really well in Brazil at the moment. But So that they've got all of these attackers and basically two of them are going to have to drop out. So Martinelli's competition is very much with Anthony and with Richarlison. And those two guys are in this squad. And probably... If you're discounting Firmino, probably one of those three is is going to come out. So if Martinelli basically has had his last chance to impress in a Brazil squad, I I think the the only other caveat 
um, I guess, is that Chite was at the Fulham game a few weeks ago. He obviously mm. has an incredibly strong relationship with Edu. Um, they are more than just former work colleagues. They are very, very good friends as well. Um, in fact, when Chite took the Brazil squad uh, job, he insisted that Edu come with him because they worked together at Corinthians. That was one of his conditions for employment. Um, so they're, they're incredibly close. Um, and obviously, like Edu's just come out of that setup. He knows everyone in there. So, you know, there's definitely been a conversation at that game. And Chite probably had the conversation with the players at that game and probably said then, look, you guys aren't going to be in the next squad. Um, and yeah, I, I imagine that, I imagine for Gabriel Jesus, that was a very quick conversation with Gabriel Magalhães, probably a, a quickish conversation. For Martinelli, it's, yeah, it, it's, but we always knew he would be on the cusp just because of the depth that they've got. And um, I, I'd say I'd just urge Arsenal fans not to celebrate um, someone like Martinelli not going to the World Cup because I promise you, nothing means more to these guys. Nothing. Like the World Cup means everything to every player. I think, but for Brazilians, it's times 10. I promise you, there is nothing that any of them will ever do in any club shirt that will mean more to them, even close um, as much as going to the World Cup with Brazil. It is, if you're talking about Brazilian footballers Maslow triangle, that mm-hmm. is way up the top, all on its own. So if Martinelli doesn't go to the World Cup, he will be devastated. He will be absolutely devastated. Um, and, and you know, we'll have to deal with the fallout uh, from that. Personally, I'd much rather he went. He, Frankly, he probably wouldn't play that many minutes anyway. So, like, from a pure, like, fitness point of view, I don't think it would be a huge deal. I think it's far, far, far more preferable for Arsenal that he goes, he's happy, and maybe he doesn't play very much, but maybe he's part of a squad that wins the World Cup or goes close. Yeah, I... I- there's definitely the selfish part of us as Arsenal fans that can see Martinelli, Gabriel Magalhaes, even Gabriel Jesus, as far-fetched as that is, I believe, not going to the World Cup is a great thing for our season. But it would be, I think, a bad thing for our long-term capability of keeping players that we care about. They they want to be somewhere where their, where their international career can be nurtured, certainly. Um, I do think with Adu there, they're in a good place. They're at a big club. If we finish where we think we want to finish and they're playing well, I do think they'll get the call-ups. Um, interesting side note, my Maslow's hierarchy of needs is just a triangle with pizza and bourbon in it. Um, just That's it. That's the whole triangle. So I got a question for you, Paul, and I want to read both of them because I think it's a great study in how the way you ask a question can lead to how people are inclined to view you and view the question itself. And you can guess which one is more the way I would ask a question. But So Emil... A239 on Discord says, are we watching the super slow motion derailment of ESR's Arsenal career? He's the oldest of our peers, Saka, his peers, sorry, Saka Martinelli, and is taking steps backwards as they step forwards. Now, I, I will read you Sandman 
at FI Sandman on Twitter asking the question, fitness issues aside, how do we maximize ESR's contribution while Martinelli is playing well? It feels like we're losing him from the group a bit and not sure cup minutes are enough given how big a role he had last season. They are both asking the same question, but dare I say it, they have asked it in slightly different ways. I do think both questions uh, are driving at the same thing. How do we keep ESR in the group? How do we maximize his Arsenal career in light of what's happening with his peers within his sort of age group and his some fitness concerns as well. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that squad depth should do for us is to take the pressure off players being played when we need them rather than when they need to get the me- the minutes. Um, yeah. you know, Smithrow came on recently uh, I don't know what he had, maybe 20 minutes, and then in the warm down, uh, aggravated an ongoing problem. Um, so it's obviously still on the bubble in terms of working through that. This may not be the season for him is the reality. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, late in the season, he could play critical minutes. I mean, things turn around so quickly in football. Uh, Eddie and Kedia, you know, We'd, we'd made our peace with him. Uh, ten games to go in the season, suddenly he starts to play a more and more critical role. Football changes so quickly. So, uh, like, I, I just... Fundamentally, he's a guy with talent. Um, I think we all see what he brings. Is he an automatic starter for most games? Or is a guy who starts some games and has critical contributions in other games using his superpowers? Um that's dependent on him and how he evolves his game and how he broadens what he can do. Hopefully what he's doing is he's taking this time to think through his game, to think through how he plays his football, what more he can do. He can turn it into a positive, but obviously the greater positive would be playing uh, games, minutes. He's still very, very young. I just uh, Googled it. July is his birthday. He's 22. Um, He's a guy we want goals out of, and he's reaching the age. He had a pretty good season last year for coming on and scoring goals. Um, he's reaching the age in the second half of this season and next season where he should be contributing on a regular basis, providing those goals. They can't all be starters. Martinelli's having an absolute flyer, and from an Arsenal selfish point of view, we need Smith Rowe to come in this year and play important minutes, important contributions, step in at important times. But maybe we don't, at this point, need both of them to be fully fit, raring to go, and that particular headache. There is a way that there's obviously what you want is the guy fully fit and rare, raring to go and charge. But like part of the reason you want two guys in every position is competition. Martinelli has all the competition in the world he needs uh, as he looks out across the other Brazilians trying to get into that squad. Of course, the, as Tim talks about, it might be the the headache after the honeymoon that's, that's a little more problematic for him. But the really competitive guys at the top level are always competing with players. They're just not in their own team. They're looking across what's going across the league who scored what kind of a goal? Like, did Thierry Henry need a, a player to compete with him week in, week out? I don't think he did. He was competing with every other top player who was trying to do the things he did. Um, so, like, 
it does amaze me how we've turned a corner from the players we used to have at Arsenal uh, who had this kind of ongoing injury thing. It seems like sports science has taken us to a whole different place mm. and I'm hopeful Smith Rowe can get there. But you go back and you, like, I don't need to go in depth, but you can mention a few names. Abu Diaby was doing the rounds this week and they showed one or two of his absolutely incredible games. We'll never know what kind of a player that he could or couldn't have yeah. been. You, yeah. Your Ramses, your Wilshires, and you're like, thank God that's such a rare occurrence for us now these days. Even yeah. Santi, who I always feel was around for most of his tenure, um, got critical injuries at critical times for his like. It was like it's like the Greek gods. I'm 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 reading some stuff on it at the moment, and it just seems like the Greek gods always used to get involved and take somebody out when he was doing too well. And it was like they spent their time focusing focusing on us in the Premier League, just taking out our heroes, our Achilles, Ramsey, Wilshire, yeah. Van Persie for a while, Diaby, yep. Santi Cazorla. Yeah, well, you name um, Fabregas, blah blah yeah, blah. Not, not quite never, too bad, but yeah. Mm-hmm. What Fabregas? Fabregas Injury wise, no, he was. Oh yeah, Tim, help me here. Yeah, he he had a couple of years where he had like hamstring problems. Yeah, pretty consistent. He was on and off, in and out. Now we certainly were overplaying him at the same time. Was half the problem with Fabregas. He was like, yeah. I I put a video into the Discord the other night. It, there's a video on YouTube, Hector Bellerin, fastest player in the world, but it's actually just a video of his skills and and tricks and stuff. And like you watch the video. You can think he's a terrible player now. You're totally entirely entitled to that opinion. You can not like him. You can like whatever. It's not that point. It's a point that I think we forget how special that player was too. And we did we did go through a period of that with a lot of players. Um, Tim, That's, you want to add? I I can't let that go. It's Hector, Troy, the Greek gods. Yeah, nailed it. Well yeah. done. Yeah, perfect. I I I, tr- I brought it all together without saying it, but then you felt you you had to say it. See, I trust the listener to make the connection of I Hector and, and Troy, but, but you don't that's why you know what his mug says. Um, okay, hey Tim, you you wanted to add on Smith Rowe? I'm not sure where we are in the Smith Rowe conversation anymore, but please feel free just, to add on it. Just just a little bit because I'm glad that uh, Paul mentioned Eddie and Ketia there um, as well, and and I think something we were kind of driving at in a previous pod was that Eddie and Ketia might might have taught some of us something about um you know being quick to write players off and actually i think eddie has a real kind of role as 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 like um i guess like as a figure of aspiration again for someone like smith Rowe, for someone like reese nelson for example reese nelson like at the moment he looks like he's got one foot out the door but so did eddie this time right. last year. Um, so yeah, I just Sam wanted B. to talk up. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to talk up like Eddie's role as a kind of, well, he did it. He pulled himself back in. So I just wanted to make uh, that. Ironically, point. it was Eddie and Sambi who sat around that t- table talking about <laughs> Eddie saying, what are you bitching about? None of us are getting any minutes. Let's do a, a quick hitter. And then I'm going to come back to you, uh, Tim. I like to get some quick hitter ones in here so that we answer more questions because we average, I think, uh, uh I'd say, a. Uh, a nice pace, 15 minutes per question, roughly, is usually our, our pace here. Um, Tim, quick hitter. We're playing Spurs today. What's your preferred back four? Oh, good question. So I'd still go with Ben White at the moment at right back. Um, and I'd, I'd, so I definitely do Saliba. And the reason I'd do Saliba is because he's so strong at defending that channel. And obviously, that's where um, Sun does a lot of his attacking. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I'd have Gabriel, and I would have uh, Zinchenko instead of Tierney, um, just because I think you can dominate Tottenham um, through possession. The player they play on the right, I mean, Kulusevski is a really good player, Richarlison's a really good player, but more of their threats down the left. So I'm less kind of concerned about, oh, we must have the best defender. I'd still go with Zinchenko, but I still want Saliba in there because of the way he defends that channel. And at the moment, I'd still just about go with Ben White over Tomiyasu, but that is difficult. Paul, back four for Spurs today. Tomiyasu, I think he looked great against a Europa League minnow, I will grant you, but holy <laughs> fuck, and his switch passes to the other side, uh, w- and like just his physicality and his height, uh, we don't concede that penalty with Tommy Asso. Um Saliba, Gabriel, that's easy. Very tent- tempted to think about Tierney, because I just think they'll get no fucking joy. Uh, the only thing is playing at home, which will be the the next London derby. I might be 50-50 Zinchenko early on, but a very early sub for Tierney. But I'd be, I'd almost go Tierney on that one Uh, because I think we need a mentality that that is strong, physical, absolute. And we, we, based on the experiences of the last last London derby, it's almost sending them a message, you know, this is not the same team you're playing now, pal. Strong, Mm. physical, aggressive from the back. And you could always bring on Zinchenko a little later on, which I know is the the flip move, to dazzle and wow them. It's tough, right? Because I think there is an an interesting question to be asked about our defending, and there's one in here coming up, so I'm going to ask it in just a moment. But I I think I would go, I definitely go Zinchenko over Tierney with, with no... Um, with no ill will towards Tierney, just more the point that it is going to be a game where we're going to dominate possession. That's what they're going to want us to do. And I think if you're going to do that, you need Tierney to get the most out of that possession. I would go Gabriel and Saliba, but I think I would break from you guys and give Cedric a chance just to prove that, you know, last season was a fluke for sure. Go with Cedric. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go White or Tomiyasu. I think about what White did to Zaha, and that makes me say, why wouldn't I just play him in there and let him shut down Sun? But the Sun challenge is different. It's an off-the-ball movement, not an on-the-ball movement that I worry about with Sun. And so then it's just a question of who you think can be better in that respect. And I I have to admit, I'm I'm not sure. So we'll um we'll come back to For me, there they just a- need a few few chances. That's the problem with Spurs. And I say extinguish all hope with your back line and and you got you got the crowd behind you at home, and you got enough attacking threat. Uh, I I w- would just put out the most. I'll call it, use the term muscular. That's not really what I mean. The the back line that extinguishes all hope. Mm, it's interesting because uh, by the way, that question was from right on the money in the Discord, and and Harrison Dalby at hwd underscore ninety three on Twitter says, "Would you like to see a back four of Tommy White, Saliba, and Zinni? I think that has to p- the potential to be our best back four. And I don't know. I mean. Tim, just staying on this for a second. I, I am of the opinion that people have underrated Gabriel Magalhaes. First of all, I know everybody hates data. Data's the worst. We hate data. The data on his passing just pops. He is a very important part of how we progress the ball. And if you rewatch games, you see it in ways that you maybe don't initially. I'll, I'll confess that there are times he has looked a little... He, he sort of Funky. does the thing that Shaka does. 
He'll have two moments in a game where he does something where like, oh, Gabriel again. And then the rest of the game is absolutely imperious. But because football is about moments, you sometimes remember those negative moments. And I've been guilty of that with Shaq, and I think people are guilty of that with Gabriel. But what do you think of that idea that that it's his place that's most up for grabs, to use a famous expression? Yeah, I I, I just think the left-footed thing is really important. Um, I really do, particularly when you've got like Zinchenko inverting so much. And I just think having the left-footed angle for those passes and for those triangles... I, I do think it's really important. I do think that, it, like, I think I'd be fine with White and Saliba. Don't get me wrong. In fact, if Gabriel got injured, that's what I'd want. I'd want White and Saliba in, which whichever way. Like, I imagine Saliba would go to the left. I'd, I'd be fine with that. But I, I think you really need. I think Gabriel's left-footedness just gives him a little bit more of an edge, even if you think White and Saliba are, are better defenders. Mm. Which again, I, I'm not entirely convinced about i do think gabriel and also i think gabriel's just got qualities that are um that are slightly different to our other defenders as well i I do kind of think it's more gabriel plus one than than anything else yeah well then let me stay with you for this me rage at uh m1 underscore rag3 and it's me spelled mi so my rage or me i don't know it's it's a perfect twitter handle let's be honest um says do you think we have anything to worry about in terms of our defense. Even with the generational Saliba, his definition, we still seem to be conceding goals regularly. Why do you think that is? Is this a personnel issue or an adapting to the system issue? What, why do we have a, a worry in defense? I mean, maybe a, like it, it's a difficult distinction to make because we are basically we're conceding stupid goals, but they're they're not systemic. That's the thing. Like we're not getting pulled apart. We're not getting picked apart. It's like someone scores from a corner. We give a stupid penalty away or like our defender gets tackled on the edge of his own box. Like those are what the last three goals we've conceded have been like that. So there's kind of a part of you that's just like, well, that that's more avoidable and that's not a systemic thing. But I am worried that with the the regularity with which that is happening, um, but I also do kind of think that in all of those games, nearly, we should have been out of sight before those things happened anyway. Um, so I, I don't know. Like you, Elliot, I kind of think our defending is more about just not letting the other team have the ball. Um, but I, I, I am concerned, and I think it's more of an overall thing. I am concerned about us giving up goals, particularly when we're not really under very much pressure. I do think that's something we have to sharpen up. And I don't know if the answer to that is that our defenders are having brain farts or that we're a bit unlucky or or whatever. Um, but I, it, it's yeah, definitely, I, if I were Arteta, right. it's I, I know, something I'd be, I'd be talking about, definitely. Yeah, I think we definitely have the ability to turn what should be very comfortable situations into uncomfortable situations. I think... Because of where we control the ball now, Paul, and because of the way we possess the ball so dominantly, the chances we concede are slightly different. They're not conceded from our low block. They're conceded in transition. And chances conceded in transition can feel more nervy, can make you look more exposed, more pulled apart, right? Because you have fewer defenders back there controlling the situation. This is where I think data can help. We have the second meanest defense behind only Manchester City in terms of expected goals allowed. And what that tells you is we've had a few big mix-ups 
but we're not giving away lots of opportunities. And so I think I'd rather continue down the path we're going because on a game-by-game basis, we're not giving a lot of opportunities away. Like Manchester United were ruthless with the chances they had. We've been punished for some silly errors, but the style of play is not giving away a lot to the opposition. So is, is there a defensive issue there? I mean, or is it maybe a little bad luck or just a couple of boneheaded moments? Um, we're playing, we're doing a high wire act is the reality. Mm. Literally, we have the third highest uh, line defensively in the league. So there's all that space behind it. And anytime you blink, anytime you don't have pressure on the ball, <clears throat> I mean, think back to, uh, what was the name of your man uh, for Crystal Palace spraying the ball all over the pitch? Joachim um, Anderson. Uh, yeah, yeah. The defender. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like game after game, that's the opponent's tactic. We're we are to an extent dominant until we're not within games, and it's the moments you drop your guard or, uh, you know, Sambi's coming into the team and learning where to be, and the other players are learning where to be with him when we press, when we don't press. So anytime you take your foot off the gas. Uh, there is a vulnerability there with the way we play. We're not going to play a different way. So like the whole, should we play so high? (laughs) Should we sit a bit deeper? Like you can't do both. You can't pull it apart and drop your back line, but still have the boys up front pressing like crazy. And what's the midfield supposed to do? Drop back, push up and support. Like it is what it is. Um, We're going to get a lot of, uh, offensive action, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressing, and we just got to learn how to do this. We we didn't do this last season. Nothing like this extent. Nothing no. like as front footed as as out there. We are exposing ourselves to the elements here, and we're going to have to learn and pick our moments and realize anytime you drop the press. Uh, or you drop your positions, or you lose attention, or you don't have your man under pressure, you set off a chain of events. So, like, you see City getting done by stupid goals. Uh, When Liverpool are off the ball, you see them getting torn apart. Um, Across the season, it pays off. If you're good enough, I think we're good enough. And just one more data point, just bear with me. So I told you we have the second meanest defense in expected goals. That lines up with shots. We're conceding fewer than eight shots a game. The only team better is City, conceding just under six. Then it's Liverpool, conceding one full shot more than us. And then you're down to teams like Brighton, Chelsea, you know, conceding 10-plus shots per game. Spurs, everybody's darling, they concede 14.5 shots per game. United, 14.8 shots per game. And so if you're asking me... Is the way we're defending the right way? Is it an issue? It is absolutely the right way. Because if you can defend in a manner that leads to the opposition getting fewer than eight shots and having the second lowest expected goals in the league against you, I just, I, I again, maybe I'm over-relying on data, but I think that is sustainable. That over time, suppressing shots and suppressing quality chances is a sustainable way to ensure that you don't concede a lot. So, my one concern is that we're getting done through the middle a few times lately. Maybe I'm just a little scarred by the United game. People will say, oh, Sambi. And, like, obviously, it's something to do with that, but I don't think it's all about him. 
it's it's a bit about us being overextended and maybe not knowing our well, relationships to Sampi. But we've got well, done through the middle in ways we haven't for some time. Well, where you're definitely right. Look, if you concede five shots a game, but those five shots are from the penalty spot one on one with the keeper, that's not good either, right? So, like, yeah. you can, you know, you have to be a little bit mindful of that. Tim, um, I think we should switch back to Whiskers mode here. Well, we we stayed. We were sort of in Whiskers mode. Yeah. To be fair, that was sort of a, a Whiskers mode. Um, several people are typing in the Discord. Um, this is funny, by the way. If you're like, what is what is his name? So if you've ever used Discord, like if someone's typing a message, it'll say like, you know, Jim is typing. Or it'll say like Bob is typing. Or it'll say Bob and Jim is typing. But if tons of people are typing, it'll say several people are typing. And usually when that message is up there, you know things are going very badly in the Discord. Usually <laughs> there's arguing, there's anger. There, what's going, screw this, I hate you. you. But you know, the Discord's a beautiful place. But when several people are typing, that's how you know uh, things are <laughs> things are in trouble. And several people are typing. Tim asks, any concerns that Saka and Saliba have yet to announce contract extensions? When are they going to sign Dating? Yeah, maybe. It does lead me to believe, like, I don't understand why they would have delayed those. So with Saka, I kind of think it, it's not done, but it's nearly done. That's, that's more what I think the messaging kind of says. Whereas with Saliba... There were some reports that it was done, but they were storing up the announcement till after deadline day. And then, like, deadline day came and went, and there was no announcement. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I guess I don't really understand why that would happen. So I'm less concerned about Saka just because that sounds pretty close. Whereas Saliba, it feels a bit like a climb down from, oh, it's done. They're just waiting to announce it. And now it's a bit like, well, surely that can't have been the case. So, so maybe, maybe that is a bit more of a worry, but, but we don't really have that much reporting on where that got to um to be honest so yeah i i maybe i am a little bit worried about that one yeah i, I would say that as long as they haven't signed the strength in the position shifts further and further towards them and the likelihood that they may start to entertain at least thoughts or considerations about what their future might bring shifts you know, towards being more open-minded about, about options. I said this a while back. If I were Saka's agent, there's zero chance I would have let him sign a contract this summer. And the same is true of Saliba. And the reason is because I would have said, look, next summer, you really have a tremendous negotiating position for me to go get you the best possible deal. I know your goal is to stay at Arsenal. I know that's where you want to be. Let me do my job, Bukayo. Let me do my job, William. My job is to no negotiate you the best deal you can get. And the best way I can do that for you and achieve the goals you've told me you want is if you give me next summer to do it. The other thing is, he, you could then say, and oh, by the way, we can just make sure things are going in the direction we want. We can just make sure this project's on the up. We can just make sure, you know, there's not an accident. The club doesn't finish eighth again. The team doesn't finish eighth. And, you know, it, it keeps our options open. We give ourselves a little bit of optionality. I know your stated goals are to stay here, but it lets me do the best for you. So if I'm his agent, I'm begging him to wait till next summer. So it it does it wouldn't surprise me if that is the position they want to take. And, and that doesn't have to mean that he won't sign or he won't stay. But I don't know, Paul. I mean, like with Saka, I, I ultimately think he will stay and that it's just about negotiation, which is fair. These guys are negotiating for their career. With Saliba, I mean, he looks pretty happy now. He's got a great song. Everything's going great. I'm sure he's thrilled. He certainly talked a lot to the media about frustration. Maybe there's still some wounds that need to heal and rifts that need to be mended. I don't think it's a given that a 
generational talent center back is going to stay at an arsenal that didn't always hold him close to their bosom. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, not like worried, but concerned. I don't know where, where are you on those two? I know with Saka, it's probably not even asked worth asking you. Cause you think done, done. He's staying. It's going to be easy. No problem. But maybe with Saliba, do you have more of an open mind there? That's about right. Um, I have a more of an open mind. I do think everything seems to be going rather well in that relationship that started the season. Um, like, uh, Saliba won't be that much different to the Brazilians. It's it's for him right now. It's all about the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, like being slow in your contract negotiation as you lead up to the World Cup is probably a good way of making sure you stay in the manager's thoughts and that he doesn't give you any reason. He doesn't like have two or three months you're not starting for your yeah. own good because he's like, yeah. you know, we want you to think about your game. He's not going to ask Saliba to think about his game before the World Cup. So there's a lot of pressure. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like being a manager leading up to the World Cup. With the, uh, You look at your, your office door and there's like three guys there. There's uh, Martinelli. There's, uh, there's uh, Saliba. There's Ben White. And they're, they're like, they're all coming into you because they have a concern about this or that or the other that impinges upon time and how they're being treated and how they're being used and whether they've been given given the chance to shine. You know, are they getting the service? Uh, the way you're playing isn't it doesn't allow me to play the way I'd like to play to show my game to get in the World Cup squad. So I... Uh, I generally, we've been very good at getting the guys we want. When was the last time we lost a guy at Arsenal that we wanted to keep contract-wise of any profile. Uh, It's a decade. It's a fucking decade since we've lost somebody. Can I ask you a question, though? Mm. When was the last time we would have cared? I know know that sounds so cynical, but, like, who's the last player that might have left us where there was genuine demand for him other places and we held on? I can't think of one. Very fair. I, by, by the way, and, and I, I, again, I am not saying that to, to crap on the players we've had. It's just if you really think about it, most of the players we've lost are guys that like left on a free or we paid delete. You know, I mean, we, we were ready to part with like, I can't think of too many. We tried to keep, there was, there was a market for them. And we held on. Like it's been a long time yeah. since that. But happened. it's a decade. Probably why we were eighth for a couple of seasons. Yeah. To be it's fair. not yeah. since Fabregas and Nasri Van Persie. Nasri Van Persie. There's nobody we've lost at any point. No. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm, you know, you're at the table, you're rolling the dice, you keep getting sevens or whatever it is you get at the table. I don't know. Like you're going to keep throwing for a while. You may not put all your money in the table, but you're going to keep playing till the, like, we'll get Saliba. Yeah. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is there's going to be some heartbreak at some point because the odds that Saliba and White and Martinelli and Saka and Smith Rowe and Gabriel Jesus all right all stay all their career and just never leave. Like, it's pretty far-fetched. And it's funny because some people listening to this podcast may honestly have started being an Arsenal fan after the era of losing all your favorites. There yeah. was a period there where every summer wasn't about who do we sign. Yeah. It was about can we keep the ones we love? Losing Sesk and losing Nasri and losing Adebayor and losing Van Persie. And, you know, that that was what summers were about. Hell, we, we lost Alex Song. We lost Alex Kleb. We lost Tommy Vermala. I mean, it was crazy the, the way players just 
uh, left Arsenal. And so we haven't gone through that. If anything, we've held on to players longer than we should. And maybe some of that, to be fair, was Arsene Wenger's scars from the period of us being a selling club and finally deciding, screw this, we're not going to be a selling club. We're going to pay Theo more than he deserves. We're going to pay Ozil more than is fair. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep players. But it's coming. It's coming back to the time where Arsenal are going to have to make hard choices about cashing in on beloved players. I don't think that time is yet, certainly. We're at the beginning of the cycle, not the the end of the cycle. So that leads to a fixture. Did you have anything else to add on that, Tim, by the way, or is that that just about cover it? Okay, perfect. Tim gave a nod, and because I can actually see him, you may not be in a medium where you can see, but I can see his lovely face and his head shaking and saying, no, move on, move on. So you know what? We're going to get to the fixtures. We're going to get to the fixtures, but that gives me the chance to tell you UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their titles against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time, and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Note. Please stream the Europa League because that's where Arsenal play and that's the good competition. Okay, good, good, good. That gives me the chance to also say if you want to watch the Europa League or the Champions League, the best way to do it is with beautifully shaved privates. Obviously, you're going to be sitting on a couch somewhere. You don't want to be chafing while you're sliding around in your seat to all the action. So it is time to get the lawnmower 4.0. And I'm just going to tell you what it says here. It says, smooth sack summer is slowly coming to an end, fellas. I mean, they, they write it. I read it. I don't know. Is it my fault for reading it? They now say it's just in time for fresh ball fall. I, it's, it's pretty gross. Like, but, but honestly, look, it, I was just having this conversation the other day. I was out at a friend's house. We're talking about the lawnmower 4.0, as I do. And they said uh, they had nicked themselves quite badly in the shower just the other day using a razor. We, like, if you're not using this, you're using something and you're using something bad. So get the lawnmower 4.0. Get the performance package 4.0. You will get the lawnmower. You'll get the weed whacker for ears and nose hair trimming. You'll get the deodorant, the toner, the performance boxer briefs, which are uh, great for the gym, the performance boxer briefs, because of where they have their the the how do you say pouch without saying pouch and a travel bag to hold all your goodies it is the best purpose built device for what it is meant to do skin safe technology is a critical part of it it's wet dry so it can go in the shower do it now get 20% off and free shipping with the code arsenalvision at manscape.com it's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code manscape.com uh, promo code arsenalvision at manscape.com keep things smooth and fresh as we say sayonara to smooth ball fall smooth ball summer and enter fresh ball fall i don't have a choice i have to read that please forgive me um you know by the way that we have had a sponsor this periodically on this podcast that i think all of us feel very passionate about and it gives me a chance to talk about something really important and that is mental health um it, it's absolutely essential as a society that we get better thinking about, talking about, and confronting mental health. It doesn't have to be crisis. It can be problem solving. It can be working on yourself to get better. Everybody knows going to the gym is important. Everybody knows eating right is important. And yet we ignore the most fundamental aspect of being successful as a human being, which is your mental health. And so BetterHelp is able to do that. BetterHelp uh, sponsors this podcast, and we believe in BetterHelp because it provides a couple of really critical services, the ability to go online, to find a therapist that can give you the professional help you need, and you can find someone that meets the specific needs you're trying to address. So you may be able to find a specialist that 
you know, you may not be able to find locally near you. You can do it with camera on or camera off. So you can have uh, a video session or not a video session, whichever certainly uh, you prefer. BetterHelp is professional licensed therapy, right? So there's someone for you. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and be meeting with someone in about 48 hours. It's less expensive than going to in-person therapy as well. So when you want to be a better problem solver, right, in your life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com. And again, that's not health, it's help. Betterhelp.com slash Arsenal Vision. Betterhelp.com slash Arsenal Vision to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Arsenal Vision. And last but not least, as we go long today, what do we, how do we, we always wrap up the, the promo section, the, the, the ad break with, with our friends at Indeed. And at this point, you should, you know what, at home, how about I just take a deep breath for 30 seconds and you do the Indeed promo. You know it. You know about Instant Match. You know about virtual assessments. You know about virtual interviews. You know about all of them. And you know that it's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Indeed is the job site that's going to help get you the talent and help match you with the right people. And with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a, a, a post on Indeed, you're going to get quality cans that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, it's the number one job site in the world. Indeed develops four times more uh, hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. You have to be out of your mind not to use it. If you're hiring and you don't use it, you, you, your company's going to fail. That's it. How about that? Do you care about your company? Do you even care about your company? I, I care about my company. I don't have a company. But if I did, I would care about it. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job. Post to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms of just apply. Need hire. You need Indeed, Tim. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Holy cow, that was a long one today. I hope you forgive me. Elliot, that was like classic an Oasis concert and they get to Don't Look Back in Anger and he puts the microphone out to the crowd and they sing the chorus and on into the verse that Indeed ad was legendary. I'm just going to tell you with the lineup we had today, I'm guessing Blue Wire needs to pay bills for that studio they built in Las Vegas. That's fine though. It's a beautiful studio. We do love it and we do hope to have a live event there at some point. Um, okay, Tim. Taka on Twitter at Takeshi underscore AFC asked, do you think these postponements might actually be a good thing for Arsenal? Two Europa League group games out of the way without having a Premier League game at the weekend. Rested squad to tackle our most important month in October. Postponements. Good thing? Not good thing. Discuss. I mean, ultimately, I think they're a bad thing. Um, because obviously you have to, uh, in, in a season that's already going to be condensed, those games are going to have to be played. Um, and that's that's not great. However, it is what it is, and we've got to deal with it. And that being the case, you have got to try and take the positives from it. And I do think one of the positives is uh, exact, exactly, uh, exactly. Well, it's it's within that question, right? Because PSV, the two games against PSV in particular, are really clutch for this group. So. Actually, particularly if by Thursday we have an idea of whether we're going to play at the weekend or not, I tend to think we won't because the game's in London and by the sounds of it, the game's in London will bite the dust, um, but others around the country might not. So we can put everything into that PSV game if we want to. And in fact, it's probably advisable anyway from a from like a loading perspective. So, it you know, ultimately in the long term, 
bad, um, but things being as they are, um, it might be pretty good. Like, obviously, I don't think it had any impact on the team we picked in Zurich because we picked that team on the understanding that we were going to play at the weekend. But having not played, we've got like a bit of a longer build up to to PSV, and we're mm. probably not going to have a game after that next weekend and onto the like onto the international break. So it's it's bad, but the um, the badness is kind of reduced i think particularly because it's psv if we we're playing bodo glimt i think it would just be bad 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 but because we've got psv particularly at home and we want to beat them and they're playing today i you know i think we can we can kind of make the best of it and probably play um, a pretty strong team on thursday yeah, uh, hat tip to dapper g and 1.76 acres on twitter who also asked similar questions and paul will stay on this for a minute because i i I think it's a it's a toss up in part. Look, you want to play the games when you're playing well, and you want to play the games in an order that get you the most points as quickly as possible. Like, because what I mean is, I think we would have smashed Everton at home this weekend the way we're playing. Who knows how they'll be playing, what they'll look like, how we'll be playing, what we'll look like when this game gets rearranged. Who knows what absences we'll have then, or what availabilities we'll have then? There's just no way to know. Obviously, maybe now. Our next game is Brentford away. It's a tough game. You could drop points there. And then it's two weeks off until the Derby. And, you know, I I think having those three points from Everton under your belt and being through seven games with 21 points, that's the position we want to be in. On the flip side, to Tim's point, they have never made it a bigger prize to top the group in the Europa League than this season. You literally play one less knockout round. It is a huge advantage and PSV are the team we have to beat. And if we do that twice, we're going to top the group easily. It also means that Thomas Party gets to get fit. Other players get to get rest. I mean, Martinelli's been playing a ton. Zach has been playing a ton. Jesus has been playing a ton. So I see both sides of it. I still sort of lean to the idea that when you're playing well and you're in good nick, go play your league games and rack up the points. But where do, where do you come down on this? Uh, I, like, I don't think it's a relative advantage that this got postponed. I think there are other teams who'd be a lot happier Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah. Uh, United. Um, Who, by the way, aren't fixed, apparently. Lost to Sociedad on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this ge- like there'll be certain teams who'll be like, oh, thank God. Two weeks to... But we came out of preseason uh, rocking and rolling. We wanted momentum, game after game, knock them down, get the three points, get the three points at Everton, roll on to Brentford. And then you go into the North London derby. Um, look, you, you look back afterwards and you say, well, I didn't think it was going to work out this way or that way. So in the end, you know, it'll be what it'll be. It may turn out to have been a good thing. More time on the training ground for us. Maybe we fix, we tighten the ship up. Maybe Thomas Party's ready. Maybe Sambi gets more time in the playing that the lone six we work out our kinks we get a little tighter and we roll on at the end of the day you look to yourself tighten up your own game um it certainly you know depending i guess we'll play maybe play brentford maybe won't um but it gives us time to plan for how we take on uh, spurs in the north london derby i guess we're going to have a degree of time where we're going to have lots of bloody time um, feels like more time than you need to think about the North London Derby is the other problem. I much prefer to have come into it with, uh, you know, another six points 
the good vibes, everything rocking and rolling, and then you take on the North London Derby at home. But uh, so I don't love it on on almost any dimension. But mm. it doesn't mean it's not like it's a huge disadvantage. It's just it's an advantage in some ways. It's just not as much an advantage as a. But fortunately, it's not much of an advantage to Spurs. They've got their shit sorted out. We've mostly got our shit sorted out. Um, it'll be what it'll be. I don't know. Yeah, I, I do think that <clears throat> you have to be a little careful what you wish for because whatever advantage we gain in the short term now, we may not feel it's an advantage when we're trying to make up these fixtures later. But yeah. it just depends. Are you gonna? Are you in better position right now to tolerate the extra fixtures now? Or are you going to be in better position to tolerate them later? <clears throat> Which the, the one yeah. novel thought I had was, believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, like we wanted all these Europa League group games so that the kids could play. Now that's uh, we're not really playing the kids, but like those other, the next Sambi was could play, and unfortunately, you know, we're throwing ourselves into the advantages of playing a stronger and stronger team in the group games. So yeah, but also to your point. It gives and it takes away. But I yeah. think um, yeah, some of those some of those players kind of are beneath the first. You know, if everyone's fit, the first eleven. But so, like one of the things I think is really useful at the moment, yeah, Sambi in the number six role. He needs those games. Fabio Vieira, we're going to need him pretty soon if we don't already. He needs those games. Marquinhos as well. You know, as a as a you know an option um, to take the load off Saka, yeah. like. I don't think there are many play- like even if we were playing like our second choice eleven. I don't think there'd be many like youngsters in there. I don't think yeah, that's sure. where this squad is at at the moment. It's more squad players but, that, that we might need. But to be fair, Tim, like because I said something um, on Twitter and you responded to it intelligently, which is a sort of a typical uh, tactic I use is to say something inane and then wait for smart people to say something smart in the comments um, in the replies. I made the point that I think it's it's sort of a shame losing the game at the weekend means that we'll probably go full strength against PSV to keep the first team sharp. And that means players like Marquinhos and Vieira, who would have expected to get a start, you know, ESR if he had been fit, right? <laughs> they won't get that start in Kedia. But to your point, PSV being the team we really need to make sure we beat twice to top this group, we probably would have gone strong anyway. So... Now instead, and of it, I, you know. yeah, and, and I still think Vieira will play, for example, because Erdgaard's been, you know, we forget that he he took a pretty big knock um, before Old Trafford, and we kind of nursed him through that game, and he didn't finish it. So you know, I I think he's going to play um, again. Zinchenko, he's been nursing, so Tierney will play, and that will give him another opportunity to try and because he's got to adjust to what's being yeah. asked of him now as a left back. So I think those guys will play. Guys, we don't. I mean, Vieira maybe, but we don't consider like, you know, we consider them relatively experienced senior players who just probably aren't in the absolute lock first eleven at the moment. Tommy Asu as well, like yeah, he'll probably yeah. play against PSV, and that's absolutely fine. And he could probably do with the minutes, and it's not a step down, maybe even a step up. Like, you know, that that's that's not we're not weakening in that position because he's playing. Do we think? Do we feel pretty confident the weekend games will go forward? I guess the the funeral's on I, Monday, right? Yeah, I, 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 it sounds like the London games are in doubt. So one of the conversations they had was about some of the London teams reversing their games. That doesn't matter. And, and actually, I think logistically, that's probably not going to be 
possible anyway. But obviously, we've got a London derby, so it doesn't actually matter. I, I yeah. don't think Brentford-Arsenal will go ahead. I think all of the games outside London will go ahead, but the London ones won't. Interesting. Paul, any thoughts? Uh, no. That was that was really helpful with the, with the sneeze that I was trying to sneak in. You didn't. You didn't uh, I have didn't a very bad feeling. Yeah, that, yeah, well, <laughs> that was like a counterattack, and I'm out of position, and I just need you to kind of recover the position, and you didn't. Okay, look, let's. Move it was on. a bloody hospital pass. I and also I wanted to watch you your uh, dramatic like you, you could do a slow motion vid, video of that and see you catching it in your hands. So I didn't want to miss that was, anything. That was Ramsdale rolling it out to Shaka's weaker foot with his, <laughs> with his facing his golden goal. Um, let's, let's do one Tim that, that is, uh, that's going to piss people off. I, I like the questions that there's no answer to this question that won't have people coming back to us. Being, I can't believe you said the best. Those are the best. So Gunnar way who chose violence says, who has the higher ceiling between Saka and Martinelli? Uh, that's, he woke uh, up and chose violence, and, and I'm forcing yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take some letters out of that name. That's go away, not Gunnar away. <laughs> um, so I I still think it's Saka, um, but I you know I wouldn't massively. I think the thing is, well, actually, no. So the question is who who has a higher ceiling, right? It's not necessarily who's going to realise that ceiling. So I guess I guess what I'd say is Martinelli, but I think it's more likely that Saka will like realise his ceiling. Martinelli has some of the like the attributes and the abilities to be like right up there as one of the best players in the world. I mean, so does Saka. But like I think because of the end the the potential end product of a, of a player like Martinelli, I think he potentially has the higher ceiling, but I'm less sure he will absolutely go there if you know what I mean, which is not even to say like I think it would be a failure of potential. It's just I've got a bit of a hunch that he could go to like top five player in the world level. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure he'll get there, whereas Saka, I think Saka is going to get to his ceiling unless like injuries or whatever. So I, yeah, I, I guess to answer the question boldly, I'd say Martinelli. Yeah. Um, Paul, why don't you answer? And then I, I have a thought about this that might try to uh, encapsulate what Tim has just said using hand gestures. Okay. Uh, so you need to cough or sneeze or... No, this no, no, a, no! I, you really I, I do want, want to hear my opinion re- on this one. I, in this instance, I would like you to talk for longer than the time it takes me to sneeze. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic and slightly amazing that we can have this debate, and it's not obvious what the answer is. Uh, Martinelli's done amazing from where we weren't quite sure whether it was going, whether he was going to be a real factor at Arsenal or not. Obviously, when he first came in, we thought he was—he looked like the next big thing, and then reality settles in and needs to find his way in the system, and Arteta doesn't play him for a little bit because he wants him to learn to think about football in different ways. And then he comes on, and he plays well, and he, lo- he looks promising, but he doesn't look stratospheric at that point. And this season, he, at, out, out of the traps, uh, going like the clappers, and like it's a head scratcher. I don't know what the answer to it is, but the one thing I would always say about Martinelli is, <clears throat> um, like, we all love Saka, 
and like he's brilliant. And so it's not really a question on his side. The question's really on the Martinelli side, but the fact that he has end product, that he's a shot monster, uh, like even the last game, Europa League, I think he got five shots. The best of the rest was three, four. Um, no big deal. But like he's a shot monster. He'll get in there. He's he's on. He can curl them in. He you know he's aggressive. He's physical. As long as he doesn't get injuries that slow him down, because <clears throat> um, the physicality is such a big part of his game. Um, mm. I think he's a really good shot at giving us the thing teams always want the most, which is goals, and that contribution that that's how he gets ahead of Saka but the answer is it's really fucking close between the two of them at this point in terms of where they could achieve which is I mean that's the correct answer uh, I think I, I don't know how you can really parse them at this point and what massive credit that is to both of them and certainly to Martinelli because he's the guy who's come with the late rush to put him r- himself right neck and neck wonderfully they play but right and left on the pitch right so Mm -hmm. there's not there's no sense and they're very flexible what's more Saka can play against across at least three positions and Martinelli can probably play across three slightly different positions it's just fantastic there is this weird phenomenon of needing to decide which player is better than another player even within your own team when there is absolutely no need to do it. It's it's a weird phenomenon. I get it, right? Comparison. Comparison is just a thing we do. Evaluating who is better than whom. And, and so that's why Twitter is just an absolute mess of what whenever anybody tweets anything from a big account, the replies are all, Pessy is finished. Pinaldo is in the mud. I mean, it's I don't understand it, but it's a thing. The, the I, one I, thing I'd yeah. say against that, Elliot, is mm-hmm. players do it all the time. I know we're not the players and Everybody we don't have to live it, in this. Sure. But, like, the players are fucking obsessed by who's better. Oh, yeah. Who, like, they, they braggadocia, the kind of the – it's almost like the warrior co- – like, these are warriors. They're, like, back to the Greek gods, Troy. Like, all those guys did was brag all the time. And that brings out the performance in them. So, like, if you don't have, we the get mentality, sucked into it. Yeah, yeah, Paul. If you don't have the mentality to want to be better than all the other players, you won't make it. Yeah, as a Martinelli pro, right? wants to be better than Saka. Saka wants to be the man in this team. To be, yeah. he mightn't want it quite today because that's, but like, he wants to be the man. Every player want, who has that ability wants to be the man. But that competition doesn't have to be toxic, right? It can be healthy no. and 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 productive. Yeah. Um, I think the way I wanted to express this with hand gestures is, have you ever seen a distribution chart and it it distributes the probability of something? Mm -hmm. And so it starts with a little flat area and then it gets thicker in the middle and then it curves back down and gets thicker at the end. And the way I would describe the Sack of Martinelli thing using that chart is sort of what Tim was saying. I think the thickest part of Saka's distribution probability is further out on the good player uh, x-axis than Martinelli's. In other words, I think more of the outcomes of Saka are really good player than Martinelli's. But I think Martinelli has the longer tail. In other words, 
I think at the 90th percent outcome, at the 95th percent outcome, at the 99th percent outcome, Martinelli is the better player. At the 50th percent outcome, Saka is the better player, if that makes sense. And so, and the reason I say that firstly is in football, the players that really are considered the best do one thing more than anybody else, and that's score goals. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that at the highest probability, Martinelli is probably more of a goal scorer than Saka. I just think the way he strikes the ball, his instinct to strike the ball, the number of shots he takes, I just think he's going to be a, a long-term the better goal scorer. I think Saka has a lot in his game that will serve him well, whether he's scoring goals or not. You, you could see it for England, right? Why does Saka start every game? He just does so many things well. He's attentive defensively. He can beat a man off the dribble at the midway line. He can serve in the perfect cross from the top of the box. He can beat a man in the box and cut it back. He can score on his left foot. He's got it all. Um, Martinelli, I don't think he's clean. He still looks at his feet too much when he dribbles, right? He he runs around a lot, which is good, but sometimes, as we saw against United, can switch off. But when, when you're in that final third and the ball's going to fall to somebody to score, I mean, the goal that's taken away from him against United that is a goal that I don't think Saka scores, and that is through no discredit to Saka. That is the kind of goal that only a few players score. First touch, clean, on the run, strike it with your weaker foot across the keeper into the corner. Like, that's as good as it gets. So, so Tim, do you think that's fair that, like, from an all-around standpoint, you want a player like Saka in your team, but when it comes to scoring goals, there's, there's one player of the two that I think is going to get more of them long-term. And I realize, by the way, that hasn't been the case yet, but I think over time we're going to see it, and that's Martinelli for me. Yeah, definitely. One's like your your structure, uh, technical, tactical player. Like you said, like Saka wouldn't score that that Martinelli goal. You, you'd probably say on the flip side that Martinelli wouldn't play the through ball um, that well Saka said. plays for him. Yep. Um, but yeah, like if you're looking, this is going to be a crap analogy. Sorry. If you're looking to set the table, you want Saka. But if you want someone to eat off it, probably Martinelli. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, all right, let me stay with you for a second. We're going to finish up with a transfer window question because hashtag clicks. Um, Johannes Jordal at Johannes Jordal on Twitter says, great work as always, gents, which is always a good way to get noticed in the questions. Um, if we were to sign a backup for party in January, would you prefer out of, uh, who would you prefer out of Douglas, Louise, Danilo, and Tillemans? Or do you think we wait for the summer and go bigger in terms of transfer fee and quality? Do you Do you think... You don't have to stick to those three, but essentially, is a party backup still on the agenda, and do you think it'll happen in January? And if you want to pick one of those three, please feel free. Um, it, I, I'm not sure it will be because I th- Elneny should be back by January. I know it's like long-term, but around January, I think, at the moment, is when he's supposed to be back. What I can I, hear a I, lot I, of listeners muttering to themselves, oh, well, that fixes everything. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so like, I'm less enamored by trying to do the Douglas Louise thing again. I, I'd really, I'm, I am going to pick one of those players. I'd really like uh, Danilo. Uh, mm. Danilo is is a really <laughs> surprise, surprise, Tim. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's a talent. Um, he really is, and I think the reason I'd like to do that is because if you buy him in January, like I gather, it was difficult to buy him in the summer just because Palmeiras are going for the league, they're going for the Copa Libertadores, they didn't want to lose him at the moment in January. Like that's the end of the Brazilian season. The season ends in December. Well, it's slightly disrupted by the World Cup, but it'll be finished by then. So Brazilian clubs generally are much more amenable to selling in January Um, and I think what you get if you go and get Danilo is you get at the moment he'd be party back up but 
but with a very good chance that in a you know in a year eighteen months whatever that he he takes over from him, and look ultimately a big you you've you've got to see that the club are concerned about party's injury issues and and Arteta kind of said it right when he was trying to get Douglas Louise he said like because party like on the face of it is meant to be back quite soon like it's only like a three week injury on its own. And I don't think they'd have tried to spend 25 million on Douglas Louise if they just thought, oh, well, we've only got to play Sambi for two or three Premier League games there. Like, it's clearly because they're thinking, okay, either we need like the long term party replacement that's got to go closer to the front of the queue, or his backup has to be quite a bit better. Um, no disrespect to Elneny, but his backup has to be closer to his level because he's going to be used a lot. A bit like the Zinchenko signing, right? It's like, right, Tin is injured all the time, so we need we like we can't have the gap like we had to Tavares. Yep. We can't have potential. We need someone there. So I, I'd like to see us go for someone like Danilo, um, but you can see the cogs whirring in Arteta's head, and he did. He wasn't trying to spend twenty five million, I think, on the next Elneny. Um, so much, or or I think Douglas Louise would have been like the long term backup, but I think it was a th- this guy's going to get a lot of football, um, you know, parties backup. So either you want parties backup to be like that Zinchenko level, or you want him to be someone who in a year or two can can really take that role over, which is why I'd like to see us go for Danilo and not Tielemans. And yeah, 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 football changes so fast, right? And Paul, like Liverpool are. Not looking great right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe their season doesn't go so well. And maybe Jurgen Klopp says, you know what? I took the project as far as I can. He moves on. Or, you know, maybe not. But the point is, like, suddenly, is Jude Bellingham sure he wants to commit his future to a Liverpool that's restarting? Does he want to come to a place that has a club that maybe just finished second and is on the up with a lot of young English players that he probably is quite friendly with, like Saka and Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale? Right, Emil Smith Rowe. It is interesting how this changes, and I, I think the club has shown. How's his Portuguese? Yeah, good question. Yeah, that's really the criteria. Well, I think the club show also last January. They are fully prepared to not buy in January, even when everything's on the line. Now, maybe that's a mistake, and it may well be. I think World Cup injuries and World Cup changes will impact what happens in January. But you look at some of the rewards that you get for waiting for the summer. Gabriel Jesus for example, Zinchenko, for example, couldn't have gotten them from City mid-season. And you really have to weigh that against what you're doing in January. So what do you think? Are we going to go for a party replacement? Is January going to be a window where we strengthen? How do you how do you feel about that? Because I think, I do think the World Cup is going to influence that a lot, but I'm, I'm not convinced that our strategy is built around January that much, frankly. Yeah, I don't think it's knowable. I think it depends, like, there's two big factors here, maybe three, um, if, does party go on a run where he stays fit? Seems feels a little unlikely, especially with the World Cup. But if he does, we don't. Does Sambi begin to step up, and do we adapt a little bit how we play to cover the fact that Sambi off the ball is never going to be party in terms of the physical aspects of his game? And does that work well? In which case, no. I think we probably stick with what we've got, um, unless the right guy's available. Um, or does El Nenny play a blinder and between him and Sambi we're good enough? Um, what do I think will play out? I like 
if the player is available, we should go for him in January. And if he is not, we shouldn't. And uh, unless Sambi stinks the place up, I know some people think he maybe already is. I think that's incredibly harsh, but we won't go into the whole Sambi thing. Um, I think Sambi's smart enough to do a good enough job and we'll give him a little extra cover that we'll we'll see it through to the summer. Uh, but if if we see that the manager doesn't trust Sambi after a few games, um, then yeah, we're going to have to do something in January because you can't... To, uh, a phrase of yours I like, Elliot, and you know there's very few phrases very of yours few. I like. Very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't throw seasons away. And like you'll start... Things start going sour, mildly toxic, if players don't have the hope of ambition and we can't throw this season away. We can't say, oh, well, we'll go again next summer. No, 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 no. You got to build next mm-hmm. summer. You can't get a redo and think you're back where you were. Everybody's a well year said. further behind in their ambitions. I don't think the players, I don't think the fans, I don't think anybody would forgive the club if it looks like something is on this season and it's clear what's needed to ensure it and we don't do what's necessary. Because I have to admit, I came on this podcast and I defended what we did last January because I said, don't screw up this beautiful project buying someone you don't really want if there's someone you really want that you're going to get in January. And oh, by the way, we did get Gabriel Jesus and I wouldn't trade that. But it is pretty clear that had we done like a, and again, I don't know if we could have gotten Bruno Guimaraes. I don't know. I thought he wanted to come. If we had gotten him, I am convinced we finished top four last season. I'm convinced we have more money this summer. I'm convinced with Champions League, we get Gabriel Jesus and Jinchenko, but maybe there's another. At the time, I I will raise my hand and admit I was not screaming for that, but that thought is in my mind. I don't think there will be a lot of forgiveness if if we don't do everything possible to protect this beautiful season we're building. Now, it may be the case that Sambi continues to play more, plays well, gets better, looks amazing, that party is fit and available, that the needs don't look the same in January. Could be the case that everybody breaks their ankle in the World Cup and we finish 12th. It's a little too early to know. I'm going to hope that I didn't just breathe the last thing into life. Uh, The thing that's different on this um, Mm -hmm. is we have the time to plan. Like we know in early September that this is a binary situation so you plan you you assume you're going to need a guy in January that wasn't really the situation with the striker thing like we thought we were going to keep Obama Yang you can see it in all or nothing they didn't think they had an option to get him out they, they thought he was going to be around yeah, they wanted to yeah yeah I, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and it all happened late and it was all evolving will we won't we this is different so the the level of tolerance for getting it wrong here will be very low. And like yeah. I think it's different to last year because last year they didn't really think we were ready for Champions League. That was a that was a kind of a mirage. Like you can you can debate what but like this year it's like they said last year would have been a year early, yeah. which is great. This is the year. And the players like, like even if we miss out either way. There has to be the growth development ambition. You can't park it for a year, regardless of whether you make top four or not. The players, like Gabriel Jesus is not here to take a gap year before we get serious again. No, I hear you. Yeah, Tim, final thoughts on that? 
Yeah, Paul said pretty much what I was going to say, actually, which is like last year, no one really expected us to finish in the top four or even really fight for it that much. I think a lot or of Or the us Spanish going, Inquisition, for the record. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us were kind of going, yeah, six, because we'd finished eighth, right? So f- even fifth was like, well, okay, that's progress. Like fifth isn't going to be progress this year, e- even if it like is by all the metrics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just unlike, like, it's not going to, like no one's going to accept that that's progress. So, yeah, I think Paul's 100% right. There, the more tolerance um, in January, um, even if you think it's a mistake, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, it was probably a mistake, but I get it kind of thing. Yeah, not gonna, that, that wouldn't happen this year, definitely not. It would be seen as repeating an error. Yeah, well said. All right, well, on that happy note, let's leave it there. Let's remember, most important of all, We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. Um, Okay, so Clive will be back on a future episode, obviously. Um, As will Scott. Uh, If you haven't checked it out over on Patreon, there's something called Stats Guy and Civilian with Scott and Paul. It is a fantastic new piece of content. We have a low-knee watch with Kaya Kainek coming uh, Tuesday for patrons. And just lots more fun stuff to get us through the period without football, but we'll have the football back on Thursday. So we'll have the instant reaction then. We'll have our our regular pod out on Friday. So if you're saying, by the way, if you've been looking for the main pod on Thursdays, with us playing Thursday, it doesn't seem to make sense to put a main pod out just hours before we're going to play. So those are going to be Friday while there are Thursday midweek games. They will revert to Thursday on the weeks where we don't have midweek games. Hopefully that has all made sense. But the good news is by now, surely none of you are listening, so you don't know any of this information. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Roberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith, the Bachman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, PSV No. happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com